Well, good morning and welcome Grace Hill Church. We're so glad that you could join us uh, this morning on our live stream. We want to say thank you so much to Mel for leading us in worship. And man, I just love every time we see that show up video. It is just so encouraging to me what God has done, where we're coming from, and then what he, Lord willing, is going to continue to do through our church. So my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church. And so we are going to today be continuing on in our show up series where we've been looking at the importance of the church and how we're called to gather together, to be there for one another, to use our gifts to serve each other, and how we are people marked by our collective faith in Jesus and through what he accomplished at the cross, right? The work that he is doing to to save us and transform us, to give us a future and a heavenly eternal hope that is so much bigger and beyond our current circumstances. And how the call on our lives to show up and to be present with one another is meant to be a response to how he first showed up for us. So today we're going to be continuing on in our series. And what we're going to be specifically focusing on is the idea of rest, the concept of rest. All throughout scripture, we see the Lord calling his people to find their rest in him into his presence, into his care, into his love. And what we'll see from the book of Hebrews, where we're going to be today, is that the call to enter into God's rest is a corporate call given to God's people, right? To enter into God's rest together as one body and encouraging one another in this. So that's where we're headed for today. Uh, But before we do that, before we go There, first, I want to take us to a small town in northern Indiana, rural Indiana, okay? This is the town of Warsaw, Indiana, where my mom actually grew up. When I was a kid uh, growing up in Georgia, we would make the long 15-hour drive. It was brutal from Georgia all the way up to Warsaw, Indiana. It normally took us a couple days. We would make some stops. We would do this most summers, and because my parents were both teachers, they had off in the summer, so we would stay up there for weeks on end. And even though Warsaw is a small uh, rural town that I'm sure probably none of you have ever heard of, maybe a couple of you have, as a kid, for me, this place was probably the closest thing to heaven. I absolutely loved going there. So just just to kind of paint a picture of the house that my mom grew up in was was really cool. It kind of had this mid-century modern sort of Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright kind of feel. It was in a beautiful neighborhood full of trees and just very green. The house backed up to a a, kind of a big pond or a small lake. And then I love this. The entire back wall of the house, the entire back part of the house was floor to ceiling windows. So, So you wake up in the morning and you come out to eat breakfast and you just, you feel like you are in nature. There were lakes and ponds and little streams all throughout the neighborhood. So as kids, me and my cousins and the other neighborhood kids would wake up, we'd go out in the morning and we'd swim all day, we'd fish, we'd hang out, we'd play, and then we'd come home late. It was awesome. My mom's family, they, they're they absolute animal lovers. They love animals. And so they would rescue often, they would rescue animals that they found in the neighborhood that maybe got abandoned by their mother or whatever. So, so we always had baby raccoons. Ducks, squirrels, flying squirrels, rabbits, chipmunks that we would play with both inside the house and outside the house. So cool. In the evenings, I can remember sitting around the massive dinner table 
uh, with my family eating dinner and listening to my aunts and uncles uh, tell stories late into the summer nights when you could hear the bullfrogs just singing in the background from the lake that was right behind the house. It was so great. It was your typical small-town American, just kid utopia, right? It was an amazing place. And for me as a kid, Warsaw, Indiana was a place of rest. And even though it was grueling, very hard work to get there, right? 15-hour drive. Kids, me and my siblings were fighting in the car. We're bored. There's sometimes car trouble. I can remember my parents, like, trying to – they'd have the big Rand McNally map. This is, again, the early 90s. So there's no GPS. So they'd have the big map. They're trying to figure out where to go and how to avoid traffic as best they can. Not to mention my parents just dealing with us kids, right? It was a big to-do getting up to Warsaw, Indiana. But I always knew it was so worth the work of getting there so that we could be in this place of rest. Grace, so what the Lord calls us to do as his people is to show up and to enter into his rest and to be present with one another so that we might find life. Doing this as a church, man, it takes work. It takes time. Sometimes we might even fight along the way as we strive to be the present and unified body that God wants us to be. But man, it is so worth it. Because once you arrive, there's nothing like it. Right? There's nothing better than finding our rest in him and experiencing the unity amongst the body that comes as a result. So this brings us to where we're going to be today, uh, specifically the book of Hebrews. So you can turn there, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, kind of the end of the, end of the New Testament. And to, specifically, we're going to be in chapters 3 and 4, where the writer talks about, about rest and how we're, again, called to enter in as a corporate body into his rest through faith, entering in through faith. But the writer of Hebrews also, as he encourages us, he also issues a warning to us, right? He warns for those, um, for those who fail to enter into God's rest, a warning for those who fail to respond in faith to what God has said and even commanded for our joy. The writer of Hebrews makes clear that we can experience hardness of heart or even fall away so long as we fail to enter into his rest. And because of how just how easy it is sometimes to fall away and because of the, the bent inclination of our redeemed yet still sinful hearts, the writer of Hebrews warns us but also encourages us in this. We see warning and encouragement in this book. So let me read our text for today, and then I can pray for us and we can, we can dive in. So Hebrews chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll also have it on the screen, and I'll pick it up in verse 12. Hebrews three twelve. He says, Take care, brothers, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we, plural, right? We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was 
God provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And although his works were, were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. A lot going on. We're going to unpack it today, but let me pray for us as we keep going. Father, we love you and we just ask for your grace now. We ask for your help. We ask that your spirit would come and and just crank open our hearts and that you would pour in your truth and your love and your goodness and how it is that, Lord, that we're to move forward as a church body, pursuing rest together, rest in you, collective rest, where there's unity, where there's faith, where there's encouragement. So, Father, would you come and just do the work now that you want to do in us? We just give this time to you, and we love you. Amen. So just a quick bit of context. Again, there's a lot going on in this book. And it all fits together really nicely, but you got to have to move through it. But a quick bit of context for the book of Hebrews before we go any further. First, uh, we don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is. There are a lot of different views. I have my own view. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that if you want to reach out, so feel free to do that. But in case you're wondering why I keep referring to just the author of Hebrews instead of like Paul or Peter, that's why. We're not 100% sure. Two, uh, the author is writing to Jewish Believers, hence the name Hebrews, right? The Hebrew people. But but they're relatively new believers since, again, the Christian movement is relatively new. And so they're, they're Jewish believers who are still heavily immersed in or are coming out of strong Jewish cultural roots. And so the process of orienting them off of the Torah and onto Christ, so, so off of the law and kind of the, the, the rules and, and the you know, the Old Testament and onto Christ and the gospel is, is hard. It's just, it takes a lot of work. So that's why we see in Hebrews a very heavy emphasis on the supremacy of Christ and faith in him and, and Jesus as our new high priest as opposed to the old priesthood, right? And how we are to then persevere in this newfound faith. And so then what the author is doing in chapters three and four, as we've already been looking at, is issuing this call to enter into God's rest as his new covenant people. 
right? It's an invitation to enter into the rest in God that Jesus made possible at Calvary. The book of Hebrews is telling us here, hey, here's Jesus, right? Here's what he accomplished. Now come and feast and enjoy, right? Don't be like the Israelites who failed to enter into God's rest when they were in the desert, but to instead boldly enter into God's rest by faith. So with all that context, here's what we're going to do today. What I want us to do today is to look at, from the book of Hebrews, three keys to our collective rest as a church body. Three keys that I believe as we pursue these, we as a corporate church will enter into the rest that God desires for us, for Grace Hill Church. So three keys to our collective rest as a church body. This is where we're headed. So we'll pick it up in verse 12, and I'll reread again verses 12 to 14. It says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Right? That's every day. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so key number one that we see is that as a church, we are to exhort one another. As a church, the way that we enter into God's rest is through exhorting one another. Um, Got Questions is a great Christian resource. And here's how they define exhortation. I love this definition. They say that exhortation is defined as an urging done by someone close beside. Paul instructs Timothy, right, his brother, saying, Until I come, give it attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching, 1 Timothy 4. The word most often translated exhort or exhortation comes from the Greek word periklesis, which means to call to one side, to summon, to encourage, to admonish, to entreat. It also sounds like the word paraclete, which is what the Gospel of John calls the Holy Spirit, the comforter, right? I love that. To exhort is to develop relationships with other believers for the purpose of encouraging them in their spiritual growth. People with the gift of exhortation do not, they don't merely proclaim truth, right, as prophets do. No, they develop relationships, often taking time to do those little extra things that make the difference when someone is struggling. Rather than say, well, you should begin doing a Bible study in the Psalms every day, an exhorter might say, hey, let's, let's start a Bible study together on Psalms. How about coffee on Tuesday morning? So I love how built into the idea of exhortation, and it's literally in the Greek construction of the word, is the context of love and relationship and gentleness, which is exactly how Jesus deals with us, right? And the writer of Hebrews says that we are to do this every day. Why? Because the heart is deceitful. Man, we are sinners saved by grace, and yet we still walk around in this fallen world with this body of sin and flesh, as Romans 7 says. So we need to regularly be encouraging one another. You know, on our, on our long road trips as a kid, driving up to Warsaw, Indiana, right? As I've already said, the 15-hour the grueling drive, and it was just brutal. So, so my parents would regularly, if not constantly, have to exhort and encourage us, right, on our journey towards rest. So we would ask the classic question as kids, you know, are we there yet? 
And so to keep us going on this journey towards rest, they would have to exhort us and to remind us of how much, how much fun we'll have once we arrive and how great it will be to see our cousins. I used to watch a show when I was really little from uh, the 80s called Maya the Bee. Um, I don't really know much about the show anymore, but I remember that that's what it was called. The show was called Maya the Bee. And I knew that this show was 30 minutes long, right? I had that perception of time in my brain. So my parents, knowing that I knew this, would always say, hey, Nick, we're only four Maya the Bees away from Warsaw, which would, of course, you know, 30 minutes a show, so it would equate to about two hours. But what I love about that is that my parents would come down to my level, right, and exhort me and encourage me to stay the course in a way that I could understand, in a loving and gentle way. This is what godly exhortation looks like. And it is fundamental in leading us as a church into a place of rest. Verse 14 says, We have come to share in Christ together if we hold our confidence firm to the end. So this is what believers are to exhort one another in, right? This is the good news, the gospel, the hope that we have been redeemed and we have a new identity in Christ, right? We share in Christ if we've placed our faith in him. And then verse 15, we see our warning here. Remember, the author of Hebrews uses a mix of warnings and encouragements to get the message of this book across to the Hebrew people. But it says here in verse 15 to 19, It says, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so the author is now using the Israelites while they were wandering the desert as an example for us of what not to do, right? He says that he says that they rebelled, that the anger of the Lord was provoked against them, that they sinned and that they fell there in the wilderness and that they did not enter God's rest, right? So a strong warning. Why? Why did they not enter? Because, verse 19, they committed the sin of unbelief. It wasn't even necessarily because they messed up and made mistakes, but, but they failed to have faith. Right? It's not that they weren't, they weren't perfect. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. But it's because they failed to rest in the promises that God gave them. Which is, I mean, this whole idea of faith, this is really the predominant theme of Hebrews, the exhortation to have faith, even if you mess up, even if it's hard, and even if your faith is sometimes shaky. Man, that's okay. That's all of us. But, but to keep believing the gospel and that Jesus makes good on his promises no matter what you do and that he is faithful when we are faithless. So don't fall away, but keep believing, keep trusting. And you will find rest. So key number one to entering into rest as a collective church body is that we are to be exhorting one another in love. Exhorting one another. Key number two, let's keep going. Let's pick it up in chapter four, verse one. We'll just do verse one and two. Therefore, remember, why is the there what's the therefore? Therefore, the kind of famous little thing to remember. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the second key that enables us to enter into God's rest as a church is being united in our faith. There has to be unity in our collective faith in Jesus if we are to enter his rest. So first in verse 1, the author is saying, hey, look, man, while there's still time, guys, let's not get lax. Let's adopt a mindset of, of respect and holy fear and reverence and awe for God lest we get lazy and fail to enter into God's rest. Because we saw back in chapter 3, right, how prone we are to not enter God's rest. Look, Just look at the Israelites. Our hearts are redeemed, yes, but they're still scarred by sin. This side of eternity, so we need to stay sober and vigilant in this, right? So this is the warning. But then the encouragement, verse 2. But good news has come to us, just as it came to them, the Israelites, right? This is... God's promises, but the message did not benefit them, warning, because they were not united in faith. So the writer of Hebrews here is highlighting what we as believers have in common with the early Israelites, right? We've both received God's truth. The Israelites witnessed the works and the revelation of God after he freed them from Egypt there in the desert. And then we as the church, we've received God's truth by way of the gospel of Jesus, what the scripture tells us. So we have that in common with them. We've both received God's truth and his promises. But the message did not benefit them. Why? Again, because they weren't united in their faith. And if they weren't united, then I think it goes without saying that they were probably divided. And man, this is really re- relevant for us, Grace Hill Church. Because the last year has been hard. And the enemy has been working overtime to create as many opportunities as possible to divide Jesus' church and to stop the mission of God. And yet there is still hope. Because God's purposes will not be stopped. They will not be hindered. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that if we are to enter into God's rest then we are to place our focus not on what divides us or our differences, but on the unity that we have as children of God, as brothers and sisters, as sinners saved by grace, as image bearers who have been adopted into a family, and as sojourners who know that this world is not our home. Driving on the way up to Warsaw, as with most families, It was always a temptation to fight along the way uh, between us kids, with my parents, and every combination there. And as we fought, we were divided, right? And as we were divided, it it always clouded our ability to see the rest and the joy that was coming. And that was literally just a few hours up the road. And as we looked inward and fought and were angry, right, and just kind of focused on ourselves, and all we had to do was to look up and realize, oh, we're, we're almost there. Let's keep our eye on the road. Let's keep our eye on our destination. Let's not miss the great hope that we have as we sojourn together towards rest. 
at the joy that has been set before us. May we be united in our faith as we pursue rest together. That's key number two. Let's keep going. Verse three, chapter four. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So, man, there's a lot going on in this last chunk of text. Kind of mysterious section of verses here and a few different things going on. But in it, we see our third key. And that is this, number three, key number three. As a church, we pursue rest because God pursued rest. We pursued rest because God pursued rest. In this passage, we see some interesting language about God finishing the the creation of the world, right? And then how on the seventh day, he rested from his works, which we know from the book of Genesis is true. It's right there. Now, it's worth noting that that in Genesis, God rested uh, from his works, not because he was tired, not because he was fatigued and maybe had to sit the next, next couple plays out. No. Instead, the Lord often teaches and he instructs us through his actions. And that's exactly what's going on here. See, I love that we serve a God who doesn't just tell us what to do. He doesn't just bark commands out us. No, he comes down to be with us and he often acts as a model for us. And so we see God the Father doing this at creation as we're looking here in these verses, right? And then we see Jesus also doing it in the Gospels, modeling how we are to love him and to love and serve others. And so I love how we just see the consistency of God all across the Bible, right from the book of Genesis to the Gospels. Love that. But about God's seventh day rest, we see this theme being introduced to us here. What's going on? I love what one commentator says. This is really interesting. He says, the theological significance of creation's seventh day is, is, is eschatological, or it's, it's future-looking. Unlike the other six days of creation, listen to this, the seventh day has no evening and morning. The seventh day is different in the Genesis creation narrative. The seventh day has no end and is therefore viewed as eternal. Whereas the human work week recurs after each Sabbath, the Sabbath rest of God is eternal since creation's work is finished. And so so one of the reasons that the seventh day stands out as different from the other six, namely in the fact that it's eternal, whereas the other days have morning and night, is to highlight how seriously God takes resting in him and how important it is for us as his children to follow after our heavenly father in this way and to tease this idea out even more grace so the letter of hebrews is written to a community of christians right 
plural. So the author's intent is for rest to be pursued collectively, as we've already said, as a church body and for the church to be united in this, right? God models this for us. As we've seen, the author of Hebrews uses both warnings and encouragements here in his letter to the Hebrews. And I love how he encourages us here in verse 7. He says this, he says, today. He says that God has appointed a new day and a new opportunity, just as God did, to enter into his rest, to enter into the joy of his rest. So don't let it pass you by. Like today is a new day. God is community, dwelling in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? God exists in community, joyfully entered into his own rest, and so we too as a community, the church, are invited to follow suit, right? For as long as it's called today and to enter into the joy of his rest, right? It's an invitation to show up and to enter into life because it's just that good. And he wants that for us. Through the example that he sets, God is effectively screaming at us, it's too good not to enter into. So just trust me and come, man, come and feast. Accept the invitation. Don't harden your hearts. Show up. In verse 8, we see this quick aside on Joshua, uh, just to keep moving through our text, not giving rest to the people of God. What's going on here is, is Moses had died before entering the promised land in Deuteronomy. And so Joshua was the one who brought the Israelites into the promised land which they all thought, oh, hey, man, we're, we're here, we're good, right? Once we're in the promised land, we'll finally be at rest, which is great. But then the author of Hebrews here is saying, man, if, if that had actually been the case and that was the ultimate rest, then God wouldn't have spoken of another rest later on, a deeper, more significant spiritual rest for our souls, not just our bodies, our souls, which is, as we've been looking at today, is our resting in Christ, which we are called to enter into now, but it's also a future rest um, that is coming when Christ returns, when he makes all things new. It will be the ultimate culmination of rest. So there is rest that we're called to enter into now and to pursue as a church, but there is also a better rest that is coming when Jesus returns in grace. So that is where we are called to set our hope. That's what we're called to long for together and to anticipate together, this future rest. Let's keep going, verse 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He's modeling it for us, right? So key number three, as a church, we pursue rest because God pursued rest. He invites us into that. How awesome is that? And then our last verse that we'll look at for today, we'll close out here. Again, we see the, in verse 11, we see both the encouragement and the warning. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest together, right? As a church, the encouragement. So that, the warning, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Don't fall away. Let us strive to enter together so that we don't, fall away. So just to recap, I believe the three keys that will lead to our collective 
rest as a church are exhorting one another in a godly and gentle way, right? So this is speaking truth to one another, being quick to listen to each other, and at the same time speaking and listening with a spirit of gentleness, love, and compassion. Number two, key two, striving to be united in our common faith. Man, we have so much that unites us as believers. We're brothers and sisters of the God of the universe. It's incredible. So our confidence in our identity and our hope is rooted in nothing other than the fact that we are all sinners saved by grace, adopted into God's family, and then commissioned one another to, to make disciples, to preach the good news, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and in our communities. And then key number three, we pursue rest because God pursued rest. And he had it just, the the Father and the Son and the Spirit were just dwelling together in joy and rest and love and unity. And so he models and he shows us how important this is for his church. Our God saw fit to come down to be with us, to be present, to show us who he is and to help us in our weakness. And so in that same spirit, right, because he showed up for us, we can show up for one another, even when it's hard, because we know that we're driving on the path to rest, man. We're on a journey together. Grace, so we are calling you and encouraging you to enter into God's rest today, together, in faith. And as we love, listen to, encourage, support, mourn with, cry cry with, and anchor our hope in our Savior, we will find the rest that God desires for Grace Hill Church. So I want to close today by reading from Psalm 95, which um, all the quotes in the passage that we've been looking at today have been quoted from Psalm 95, the Psalm of David. And the writer of Hebrews quotes more of the warning passages of Psalm 95. And so to end today, what I'd like for us to do is to, to end with more of the encouragement from Psalm 95. And I want us to close with this because I think it's I think it's a good model for what our posture should be as we show up to worship and to be present with one another specifically on on Sunday mornings, which praise God in 2 weeks we're going to be doing. I can't wait. So this is how we should gather. This is what gathering together should look like for the body. Let me read Psalm 95 here for us. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 7. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock. I love that imagery, the rock of our salvation. We don't stand on sinking sand. And we stand on a rock. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The height of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, right there's the invitation. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the encouragement that Psalm 95 is. Lord, it's the the exhortation to come and to rejoice, to come in, to show up. To remember that when we show up, God, that we are entering in your presence. That there's something that is powerful and sacred and holy that occurs when the church body gathers together. 
And we gather together to see the greatness of our God, right? Your goodness, your control, your power. We stand in awe of that together. Father, we see in Psalm 95 the call to respond to who you are in light of what you've done. To respond with worship and praise and and loud singing because you have made us your own, Father. So I pray that we would not harden our hearts, that we would not turn away because you are the only thing that brings life and rest. And we experience that. The beautiful thing, God, is that we experience that in the brokenness of one another. And in your infinite wisdom, you bring us into this rest again through the body, through the brokenness of the body. Lord, this is a supernatural work that you do because if it were up to us, we wouldn't do it this way. But you do it and you've been doing it in your church for centuries and you're going to continue that. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and unfathomable your ways. Lord, we don't know, but we trust you. So, Father, I pray that your church would show up again so that we might find our rest in you. Amen.